all right, last segment. Uh, we this is going to be a long episode. This will be a stupidly long episode, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's Friday, January the 14th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, first podcast of the new year, so happy new year. Happy new year. Your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Word Game Grinch, and joining me as ever is Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering, who despite his best efforts still can't get cancelled <laughs> by Twitter. Yeah, maybe I should spread more fake news. Yeah, I think so. Fake Even news more than I already do. Yeah, exactly. As if you don't do enough already, and uh, uh, and uh, yeah, more offensive gifs. I think is, uh, is yeah. the way to go as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and if you po- if you post people's addresses online as well, I think that uh, that would pretty quickly. Yeah, that, I mean, you don't that, you don't have my address. That seems to do the trick. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, <laughs> you don't have my home address, but uh, somebody else. Uh, don't don't be so sure, Gordon. Don't be so sure. <laughs> That's true. I don't know what you what you have and haven't have a whole my... <laughs> uh, uh, dossier on 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 you. I, I I read also that you had a uh, secret party at uh, Ten Downing Street or something. No, I deny. Uh, there well, all I can uh, say you, is you that had a, pizza the... and on March twentieth, uh, two thousand seven. I see. Well, all I can say is that there is an inquiry underway, and um, <laughs> I think we should wait and for the outcome of that process. Yeah, it wasn't the best it. defense, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it was a very, you can tell that his lawyers have been all over those, uh, the, yeah, the, exactly. those replies, yeah, haven't yeah. they? He just had yeah. one standard line, he was sticking to it. Yeah, oh. and um, yeah, this, this party business, <laughs> this party uh, upheaval in the UK is, uh, is really spinning out of control because last night uh, also news broke that there was a party on the eve of Prince Philip's funeral, yep. which is. I think one of the most offensive things you can do in the United <laughs> Kingdom as Pretty a government much. official, as a, as yeah. a, as a, as a, as a, yeah, an aide of the uh, prime minister's office. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, definitely a lot of uh, heads will roll uh, because of this news, I think. Uh, yeah, I think this is definitely a case where deputy heads will roll as the old joke yeah. goes. But, um, yeah, uh, don't either, yeah, Boris Johnson, I think, is clinging on uh, by a very, very thin thread and... Yeah, so I yeah definitely. Uh, but that's not what your uh, job title was about. No, um, it wasn't. No, um, uh, no. It's a, uh, what is it about? Because I've been, <laughs> I've been avoiding. I've seen these, these, these uh, square You've seen these boxes, kind of weird squares that look like the Rabble Bank. The QR code of the Rabble Bank. Yeah. something. Yeah, for, <laughs> that you have to use to sign in for your uh, to make a transaction. Yeah, everyone's been playing this game, uh, which uh, the, 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 online uh, called Wordle, which is basically just somebody just taken lingo and turned it into an online game. And everyone said, "Oh, wonderful! How revolutionary and uh, and, and novel." <laughs> and then, then somebody created it. And then this guy, to, to be fair to the guy called Josh Josh Wardle, who invented Wordle, he did it as just like a little side project for his girlfriend because she liked word games. But then someone else took the concept and developed an app and uh, and charged money for it. And everyone's outraged. They said, how can you nick this guy's idea? Because the idea itself was nicked from an old yeah. TV game show. There's nothing original about it whatsoever. So I thought that's quite... Exactly. Was, was the guy who turned this into a into a paid app uh, uh, perhaps John the Mall? Probably. Yeah. yeah uh, no, it yeah. wasn't. To be fair to John de Mol, but uh, yeah, it, it could well have been. I think if he did, yeah. if, if, if 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 someone else hadn't thought of it first, John de Mol would probably have done it. 
Yeah, John Mulder would probably turn this into another TV show. Yeah, exactly. And he would have he would put like, a, a, yeah, like six hour long broadcasts on SPS. Of, of, yeah, exactly. Yeah, of, of people Marathon, playing games. lingo, yeah. Yeah, but now my <laughs> but Twitch it, feed is just full of uh, people just uh, sharing green and yellow bricks and, and green, yellow and grey bricks. And uh, it's, Yeah, and that it's is awful. that is just the score of your of your game, I assume, it's right? How many tu- it's how many turns it takes you to guess the word, yeah. Ah, um, okay. It's always five letter words, and it works exactly like Lingo uh, did uh, the old TV show, which I was just reading this morning. Lingo was originally in America, but they yeah. um, they only ran it for about one season, uh, whereas in, in the Netherlands it ran for like twenty years or something. And every no, time, no, I, no, much longer, oh, much longer. I yeah, think yeah. At least, and, uh, who's that at guy? Least three Francois, decades. Yeah, who's that guy? Francois Boulet was it? Uh, who? Francois de Boulanger. Yeah. Francois de Boulanger. Yeah, who, who was? Um, yeah, there was an old joke about Francois de Boulanger that uh, uh, that he was actually called Fred Bucker, but he wasn't. It really was yeah. his name, Francois de Boulanger. So. Yeah, it actually was his name. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> unlike yeah. Ruth Gullet, who uh, who adopted yeah. his name. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but yeah, so, so, so this kind of uh, quite blatant um, uh, lingo ripoff, uh, which has now been ripped off again by someone else and caused massive opheth. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. just uh, which is all. I saw for about the first week of the year. It seems to be calming down now, but uh, it's one of these uh, bigger Twitter crazes that, yeah, uh, yeah. that, that, that you just uh, you rapidly get sick of. Yeah, I saw it on my timeline, and I saw a lot of people getting impressed by other people's scores, and I just literally had no idea what it meant. And I, yeah. I assumed it was a it was it was a word game because it was it's called Wordle, isn't it? It's called Wordle. Um, yeah. But I just haven't um, dived into it because uh, because of lack of care. On my side, yeah, um, but you, yeah, but you are still on Twitter, unlike uh, some other prominent uh, tweeters uh, that exactly we, that, that we've talked about a lot in this podcast. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Corona Rasputin and uh, slash uh, dance teacher slash uh, dreadlock wearer <laughs> um, Willem Engel. Yeah. Uh, is uh, banned from Twitter. Mm-hmm. He is, uh, yeah, but he's the leader of the uh, uh, Corona conspiracy movement in the Netherlands. Mm. Uh, he was uh, on multiple occasions quoted as a serious source in serious media. Yeah, he's um, been featured on the BBC as well. It's like, it's like a Corona skeptic, even though there's nothing skeptical about him. He's just a straight up con man slash conspiracy theorist but. yeah and he denies the existence of corona uh, yeah. but, but not only the bbc but also dutch media nrc yeah. uh, all the talk shows everyone has invited him and has interviewed him as a serious reliable voice in the corona debate yeah. um but that was before he was actually yeah if you dived into him if you looked him up then you could have known that he was a conspiracy lunatic but they didn't do their job properly yeah. uh, this emerged uh, they claim only later that he was uh, a corona denier but that's simply not true um but he he also um 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 uh, filed a lot of uh, law lawsuits against the government for example yeah. for every every new measure that was introduced he uh, went to court over it he lost all of them um, there's one in- wasn't it there, there's one that they won Oh yeah, with the avant clock. With the, yeah, with the um, avant clock. Yeah, they they briefly the, managed uh, to get the avant clock kind of suspended, and the government had to, I think, change the law to introduce it. And then actually, the 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 the, the, the appeal court decided that the original law was fine. So yeah, exactly. Overturned that judgment. And in the meantime, he uh, uh, he he uh, got a lot of money donated to his cause. A lot yeah. of this money uh, disappeared, probably in his own pockets. But that's a different story. We don't really um, know that. And but uh, what is interesting that he's very close to his lawyer is also like a personal friend, and uh, yeah, he's like they're very close to each other. So yeah, he raised a lot of money through through crowdfunding campaigns. Every time he has a court case, uh, huge amounts of money. Then that then then obviously is. Uh, translated 
negotiated into legal bills by his, his lawyer and pulse, um, and then they lose the case, and then they start up again with another crowdfunding action. He's kind of pioneered that sort of income revenue stream. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. In all its duality. Um, but he's finally uh, banned from Twitter, um, where he was a, a prominent figure along the uh, Luxembourgish flags. Um, yes. And uh, the reason wasn't that he was spreading fake news. The reason was that he was uh, spreading actual information, mm. uh, sensitive information, because he was uh, he tweeted the home address of uh, Sigrid Kaag, the D66 leader and now uh, finance minister. Yeah. Um, he did that because uh, she was uh, uh, yeah, visited by uh, another conspiracy lunatic uh, uh, carrying a, a torch. Um, he, uh, he rang her doorbell. He demanded a, a, a conversation with her. Or the, yeah. the whole thing was also filmed by, by another uh, person. Uh, she was broadcasting it live on Facebook, I believe. Yeah, um, yeah so very threatening, uh, of course. Uh, very terrifying for Sigrid Kaag, who is just sitting at home with her children. Yeah. Uh, com- complete outrage in, in the Dutch media about this, understandably. Uh, and also just another example of this growing violence and this uh, growing threats against uh, public servants. Um, it was also, for example, um, revealed that uh, uh, there is a permanent police presence on the doorstep of Hugo de Jonge's home yeah. in Rotterdam. Um, uh, th- that's just another example uh, uh, of this. So, yeah, it's... Um, um, Threats online, you see that, of course, uh, uh, in the past years, uh, many times. Um, and if someone threatens a person online, some uh, often this is just blowing off steam, right? It's not too serious. Yeah. But this person actually showed up on her doorstep yeah. with, with a torch. With a flaming torch, yes. With a flaming torch. Um, yeah, so uh, it, 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 an escalating pattern, it I would say. It was definitely the next level, wasn't it? Yeah, I've, I was remembering, it was about a year ago, maybe two years now, that uh, Rob Yesen was visited by members of Farmers yeah. Defence Force at home and everyone kind of laughed it off and said, oh, it was just a nice kind of ludica axi. Sort of but but yeah. it was something, there was definitely, I thought then there was a bit of a sinister undertone to that, even though the actual, you know, the, 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 the atmosphere then was a lot less threatening. But sure enough, that this is now, the, 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 this habit of visiting politicians at home in their spare time is now taking a rather nasty turn. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, Robieta said at the time it wasn't. Uh, uh, he, he was visited by these farmers protesters. He said it wasn't threatening at all. But if you really think of it, you you just shouldn't uh, yeah. look up politicians at home. You, that's yeah. just a a, a a a line that you shouldn't cross, uh, no matter what your intentions are. And yeah. uh, he's absolutely right with that. I think. Yeah. So, but um, that wasn't uh, the op-ef of the week, uh, Bold, because uh, something even uh, something else op that had nothing to do with uh, Sigrid Kaag, but uh, did feature a very prominent female politician uh, happen this week. So, w- what was that? Yeah, the uh, op-ef of the week comes from uh, The Hague, where the return of Rita Verdonk to politics was <laughs> announced. Not uh, the Binnenhof, uh, no. unfortunately, but uh, <laughs> the uh, the Palace, as the uh, city uh, city hall of Rot- of uh, The Hague is called. Yeah. Uh, because Richard de Mos, uh, a popular but scandalous local politician in The Hague, uh, he leads the Hart voor Den Haag slash Groep de Muls. I thought it was just Groep de Mos, but he... Uh, I think they've fused. Hartford and Hart was a separate fused. party originally, and I think they've combined uh, to, to ah, become okay. uh, yeah, Groep de Mos. Or, or maybe I'm confusing it with another local party because there are so many of them. 
Yeah, there are so many of them, but yeah. he is uh, or, or was at some point the largest party in uh, in the city council of The Hague. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he announced that Verdonk will be the second name on his candidate list for his party in the upcoming municipality election in March. Yeah. Rita Verdonk, uh, if you are unfamiliar with her, was immigration <laughs> minister from 2003 to 2007. She earned the nickname Iron Rita because of her hardline immigration and asylum policies, which made her either very popular at one side of the political spectrum and very unpopular on the other side. In 2006, she tried to run for the VVD party leadership, but she narrowly lost from the then unknown politician, or relatively unknown politician, Mark Rutte. Uh, she was the number two on the VVD's party's candidate list in the general election of that year, but she did manage to win more votes than Rutte in a very awkward uh, situation, and that led to a very awkward situation for Mark Rutte. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of internal frictions within the Tweede Kamer factions and following an endless stream of incidents and gedoe and uh, toestanden, she was finally kicked out of the VVD party in 2007. Uh, after that, she stayed on as an independent MP and founded a new party called Ton, trots op Nederland. Uh, this party pulled a whopping 28 seats at the start, but uh, this gradually declined and ultimately she didn't manage to win a seat in the 2010 elections. Um, Verdonk says that she aims to become an alderman in The Hague, but if the party will not step into a coalition, she will stay on as a city councillor. Uh, the municipality elections will take place on March 15th. Mm. So, lots of uh, stock up on the popcorn there. Um, Rita Verdonk is probably perhaps uh, best remembered these days for one of the worst political campaign videos ever made, wasn't she? It's, uh, it's a, well, I think we should put a link up to it in the line. Yeah, of definitely. Uh, we should do is, that, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was an absolute. Yeah, she, she wanted to. She was trying to. This video sort of basically portrays the Netherlands as a failed state, isn't it? Where people yeah. are being beaten up in the street the whole time, um, and then there's a, there's this wonderful scene where she comes in and says, uh, "The the vat is on the lippen, like and we're up to our necks in yeah. you know, tr- trouble or shit or whatever." And then literally, you, 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 the camera pans back and you see a load of people in a swimming pool with the water literally up to their lips, which is a wonderful yeah. piece of Dutch literalism i've ever seen <laughs> yeah yeah it was yeah and even the camera moved uh, swam along with the people in the in the in, in the swimming pool yeah um yeah you say worst uh, campaign video in my opinion is the absolute best campaign video ever made <laughs> sometimes i just re-watch it when i you know i want i need a laugh i just yeah. i just watch it again um yeah it's uh, it's it's ridiculous and also what i really like is that you know all the uh, extras they are, are all wearing these outfits Outfits that you know are so stereotypically uh, ridiculous. For example, yeah. a baker with with a baker's hat, and uh, um, it's just it's such a great. We, we should analyze this video at some point in the on the podcast. If there's a slow news week, we should just uh, analyze it frame by frame. I think it's, I think it's worth it. its own its own podcast. Actually, yeah. you get somebody, some kind of political analyst or psycho- <laughs> psychiatrist or somebody to just. Yeah explain what the hell is going on in this video because it's quite <laughs> remarkable uh worth exactly. saying, well, of course Totsop Nederland actually stood in the in last year's elections as well yeah they did yeah they're yeah. still she, i think uh, uh rita verdonk quit her party many years ago but yeah. some remnants are still going on i think there is one uh Totsop Nederland i think it's in oh in harlem no it's in harlem, in harlem. yeah yeah, yeah. This week, Mark Rutte narrowly avoided becoming the first Prime Minister to go a whole year without a functioning government. 
Shops clamoured to open their doors as coronavirus infections went through the roof, and there was a nasty New Year shock for people in Kroninger. And we've got the results of the only poll anyone really cares about. Who has won the 2021 Ophef of the Year awards? Exciting. Yeah. The Netherlands finally has a new government. Mark Rutte's fourth cabinet was officially installed on Monday after a record-breaking long formation process. Another broken record is that there are a whopping 29 ministers that make up the new cabinet, of which half are female, and that's yet another record. Right before our Christmas break, or actually uh, right after we started our Christmas break, mm. the four parties that made up the previous coalition, that's Mark Rutte's VVD, Sigrid Kaars D66, Wopke Hoekstra's CDA, and Gert-Jan Segers ChristenUnie, had finally reached a coalition agreement. After that, Rutte could start and form his new cabinet. And while the four coalition parties remained the same, only 11 ministers from the old cabinet came over to the new one, meaning that we have 19 new faces to remember. No, 18. 18, yes. 18 new Say faces to remember. <laughs> well, one, one, one extra. I mean, I, I'm sure at, so, at some point uh, <laughs> one of the ministers will resign or have yeah, to have to, to go. Point two to, to, to replace him because the scandal is so enormous. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I had trouble um, remembering the names of all the ministers of, of Rutte's third cabinet. Yeah. Uh, there are just some people that just never make the news or, uh, you know, they swap so often that you just can't keep up. Yeah. Um, and so especially, I think, uh, after uh, the cabinet actually resigned last year, so many new ministers came in and new ministerial posts were created. I just lost track of who was who. I, yeah. I think there were, there were some like uh, mini- some ministries that changed hands two or three times just during the caretaker period. Right? Exactly. Yeah, that yeah. was just simply not. We were not able to keep up, and yeah. uh, we we don't expect anyone to uh, to do that as well. But no. yeah, eighteen new faces. It's it's going to be hard for me. I think, especially yeah. if if they uh, if they lead ministries that do not make the news that often um yeah. what, what always helps is if there's ophef about a minister then you know that person is in the news all the time and then you can finally remember his name for example marnix van rij who was the former cda chair is already in the news he's the new minister for fiscaliteit for tax uh, stuff i guess how yeah yeah but, yeah so i don't know for, for fiscal fiscal issues i'm not quite sure what fiscal it's gonna be, issues actually. yeah yeah yeah, something like that. And he is now already uh, in the news so, because he, he, in his previous life, he made his money uh, advising companies to uh, how to avoid tax in the yeah. Netherlands. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's a little bit of an awkward situation. <laughs> On the other hand, if you, if he really believes that that's something that should be avoided, then you know he knows how you do it, and you know, yes. can also know how to prevent it. So maybe exactly. he, perhaps he is the best person. Yeah, maybe uh, he's going to become like a white hat hacker. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, 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 maybe he's just the right guy at that place. But that always helps uh, remembering names of, of new uh, ministers, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the new ministers were sworn in by uh, King Willem-Alexander on Monday at Noordeinde Palace. Um, there was also a, um, um, a Lawaai protest announced. Um, yeah, there's a, a, a noisy protest, isn't there? So, yeah, yeah, by yeah. by a group of uh, Wappies as well. Yeah. Uh, it, it was very fun. They, they they started too late. I think they had a delay <laughs> on their on their on their live stream because right. they only started uh, making noise. Uh, as the ministers were 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 uh, uh, turning away and yeah. uh, going back into 
to the palace. Was it, it was, organized uh, by the same people who organized the sad trampoline protest, you know, under, <laughs> uh, under, uh, under, under, under Airport, for Lelystad Airport? But when that, yeah. that protest was also at the wrong time because they timed it to, with, the, with the scheduled first flight, but the, the flight was actually delayed. So the protest yeah, exactly. uh, wasn't synchronized with the, with the planes. Maybe right there's this one protest uh, organizing uh, 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 company that's ju- just doing a really bad job and everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's probably led by Hank Kohl. I, yeah, I think. or Hugo de Jonge maybe. Or Hugo de Jonge, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, so the ministers were uh, sworn in on Monday. Sigrid Kaag, um, the new finance minister and D66 leader, had tested positive, and her swearing-in was done via a video link. And she was also the only person missing from the traditional Bordes photo, uh, the photo of the new cabinet posing alongside the king on the steps of the palace. Um, and uh, there was also a fun moment when she was, you know, her, her face was projected on a, on a monitor and yeah. uh, the ministers were um, sort of led out of the room to, to, to make, make place for another group of ministers. And her, her, her uh, television screen was sort of rolled away <laughs> while she was still <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on display. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's like some kind of cyborg or yeah, sort of, yeah, sort of, uh, yeah, some kind of robot version of herself being wheeled exactly. around. Yeah, yeah. it was also yeah. a kind of fun moment where she was handed the because she and Vodka Hoekstra swapped jobs effectively. Vodka Hoekstra became foreign minister, which was Kach's job until about September, until September when she resigned. And of course, Kach has become finance minister because Desa has overtaken the CDA as the second largest party. But then Hoekstra had handed over the briefcase, the finance minister's briefcase, to Kach. So he had this miniature briefcase which he passed behind the television screen and Kach had the real one and she saw yeah. and she sort of pulled it into view so it looked as if he was handing over the briefcase which yeah. looked like a lot of nice fun thing to do but then the slightly worrying thing was that Kach was quarantining with corona and of course two days later Hoekstra tested positive so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so maybe she he got infected via this video link he got like yeah, a digital version of corona which is really exactly yeah. which is an, which is another <laughs> variant that we cannot use uh, no <laughs> indeed yeah it's um it wasn't uh, in the briefcase was a was uh, was a key for the for the treasury i didn't really know we actually had one there was a large chest standing yeah. in front of the monitor apparently it was completely empty so yeah that it's not yeah. very uh, uh, uh that, that sounds like a problem um but yeah that's uh, that's the, the the new cabinet of uh, of mark rutte uh, he, yeah. he promised us new elan um and gordon do you think uh, he managed to achieve that the new Elan, well, it's only got a new look to it, hasn't it? And I was stri- struck by the fact that obviously half of the ministers are women, and that was a stated aim of Rutte when he was um, putting together this cabinet. And also there are two ministers uh, with, a, with a migrant background. There's Dylan Yeselgers and Frank Vierwind. Yeselgers of data Zestuk at Justice. Vierwind is the, also in the Justice Department as Minister for Legal Protection. And that's really interesting because Rutte, until very, very recently, has been quite opposed to any kind of affirmative action or positive discrimination or whatever you want to call it and yet he was really suddenly he's he seems to have switched around and um and decided that uh, we should have uh, you know proper representation of women and minorities in the cabinet so that's quite striking so yeah, I, th- I think that's uh, got the sense of new elon about it yeah that's right um yeah. it's probably not something that came from him it's probably no. something that uh came from uh 60 i think absolutely um, yeah, I think but so. what what 
what's almost typically favorite day is that um, uh, you know Rutte decided that he was going to uh, uh, do this representation thing, and immediately uh, he made sure that that the favorite day had relatively more female ministers than they successor. Yeah. Um, just like what favorite day did with the candidate list for the Tweede Kamer election in March. Um, mm. uh, number one was Mark Rutte, but the other. Uh, the next six or seven were were female as well. So yeah, that's uh, that's uh, that's always um, w- w- a typically favorite day thing to do. I think. Yeah, he's kind of one up. Some one upmanship. Once he decides that he's going to pursue a goal, he wants to be the best at it. You know, it's, it's exactly. Like, you, you know, when you do the the canal tour of Amsterdam, they always tell you the story of how um, the the steps to the Amsterdam canal houses are asymmetrical because the the people on either side are always trying to build a slightly bigger. A set of steps and their neighbor yeah. it's kind of, yeah. it has, has that ring about it to me exactly yeah <laughs> yeah 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 you're right uh yeah um, what's what struck me the most is that deze sesester who of course made a huge point after the elections of a new administrative culture yeah. um really tried to achieve that by appointing two ministers that aren't career politicians but are rather uh, experts from their respective fields. Um, they uh, nominated Ernst Kuipers yep. as the new health minister, for example. He was the director of uh, the Erasmus MC Hospital, the um, uh, 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 the um, university hospital in Rotterdam, and he was also in charge of the national ICU. Um, no, he, no, he was in charge of the um, uh, Center for uh, Patient Distribution. He set that up. Oh. So yeah. when, when, when the hospital got too full, they could uh, they, they, they needed this network, this system for uh, um, transferring patients to other hospitals to make sure that the, the burden was uh, was spread so that no individual hospital got overburdened. Yeah. yeah. So he has, um, in that sense, um, uh, 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 experience in leading large organizations and managing large organizations. Of course, a ministry, the health ministry, with almost the largest budget, if not the largest budget of all, um, is perhaps a step up. But yeah. he has no political um, uh, uh, expertise or experience whatsoever. Right, he wasn't even yeah. a member of Deze Sesester. He became a member because he became a minister for that party. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so a lot of people say this is this is a plus. Uh, we have someone who knows how healthcare works, so we need someone to lead that uh, that ministry. But on the other hand, I think a large uh, part of of a minister's job is is not so much knowing every little detail of everything that happens in the ministry that's also not not something that he's uh, going to manage because you know this health ministry covers so much not only yeah. the icu or the uh, university hospitals um a, a, a large part is of course being a politician uh, cutting deals making sure you have m- majorities in uh, in parliament in both houses of parliament and that's something yeah. that he has never done before um, no, and so compromising with other yeah, compromising with other parties compromising with other ministries as well he'll have to go to the finance ministry now which is his colleague Sigrid Kaag but nevertheless every time he needs money for the health ministry he'll have to negotiate that as well So and, and, and another part of the job is communicating with the public yeah. and you know being a spokesperson of your own policy um 
and that's something that he had some trouble with in the past because he was a f- he was a member of the outbreak management team, this advisory board that advises uh, the government and the cabinet on the on on the, on, on handling the pandemic and uh, issuing corona uh, restrictions. But he was also always a very outspoken member of it, right? He was yeah. sort of a free spirit. He he always just said what he wanted and said what he thought, yeah. uh, even though that wasn't necessarily the outcome of the meetings of this outbreak management team. So uh, he had perhaps a little bit of a discipline uh, problem um, how is he going to do deal with that because you know he is part of a coalition uh, he might not be you know able to say whatever he wants because you know there is a coalition agreement um, mm-hmm. that's also something that's um, that's interesting to uh, to see how he's going to deal with that yeah definitely yeah he yes like i say he won't be so free, yeah so free to speak his mind um yeah i think just before christmas he was talking about the boost campaign and saying we should really um uh, go much faster with the boosters and simply give like everyone a booster in december and that's the complete opposite of what the health ministry um had had been doing on the basis of the advice of the OMT where they were initially planning to do most of the booster vaccines in january and february so yeah it'd be interesting yeah, to exactly. see if he manages to make that adjustment because like you say suddenly now he's got to he's got to represent the cabinet and uh, and, and take responsibility for decisions that are made behind closed doors that he won't always agree with exactly so yeah it's uh, interesting how is he going to do how he's going to deal uh, with that i think and then the yeah. other um new elon minister is robert dijkgraaf he will be yeah. the education minister he is a very famous name in the netherlands i think the broad public will know him as this professor on the world right door who explains uh, uh, physics stuff and astronomy stuff. Yeah. Um, he was um, uh, the he was the uh, director of the Royal um, Dutch Institute for Sciences. Uh, later, he moved to uh, to to the United States, where he was the director of the Institute of Advanced Studies in Princeton. So a very um, uh, 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 esteemed name in 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 the academics. I think he's a spring string theorist actually. Yes. Uh, from from um, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's a very smart man, of course, yeah. uh, but again, not someone with any political experiences. So. Um, what what the problem is with with appointing a VAC minister, as we call it then, yeah. uh, is is that, you know, in his respective field, he is esteemed so highly, and and people appreciate him so much for what he's doing. For example, also uh, uh, on television, he was just a very nice guy who can explain stuff very well. Yeah. Um, but if you become a minister and you actually uh, are responsible for policies. Um, people have that expectations, even though they they don't really know how you will be as a as a politician, um, and then it can only, uh, I think, um, disappoint. Um, yeah, you get sucked into that political world, don't you? And not everyone handles it so well. I mean, yeah, Fred Copperhouse was a fuck minister um, in the last cabinet. Yeah. You know, he was brought in as a lawyer to be justice minister. That didn't work out very well, um, and he got uh, caught up in all kinds of opfests. I think going further back, and so the one that springs to mind is um, uh, uh, Ronald Plasterk, the PFDR, yeah. who was a very highly rated academic before he went into politics, uh, but just you know his star just crashed and burned so in the towards the time as a minister, and now he seems to be some kind of sort of uh, uh yeah some kind of he seems to join the corona conspiracy ranks or yeah like. yeah <laughs> yeah pretty sad indeed and yeah. uh what, what else who also 
comes to mind is Job Cohen, uh, mayor of Amsterdam, who was brought to 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 uh, to the Hague as a sort of the savior for the Labour Party, and he disappointed also actually from the beginning, yeah. from the start. Uh, or or what about Anki Broekers Knol, uh, chair yeah. of the Eerste Kamer, the chair of the Senate, highly regarded. Uh, 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 everyone liked her. Everyone thought she was doing a very well job as that chair. She was brought in to become the uh, immigration uh, deputy minister, and uh, yeah. Uh, there seems to be not much left of 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 the esteem that was was there from the beginning. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. So sometimes you get handed a portfolio that just turns out to be a poison chalice, and then no matter how capable you are, it brings you down. So the the, the one the minister that makes uh, I think of in that context is like Eve van der Burg at uh, Asylum and Migration. Yeah, who's going to be you know he's 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 very well regarded. Uh, in he's in he's, he's a councillor in Amsterdam at the moment. Is he? Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's he was in Amsterdam. He's from the Faith Day until last week. Um, yeah. He's from the Faith Day, but seen as one of the more progressive left, uh, sort of, yeah, well, left wing by Faith Day standards uh, politicians. So you know, kind of centre right, slightly right, more centre than centre right to, to most people. But nevertheless, you know, somebody who's very um, well thought of. But he's now got this portfolio that that, that is always tricky because you're constantly under fire from Kate Wilders and Jain and Twinter to, to like shut the borders and uh, uh, introduce stricter migration rules. And his instincts are very much in the opposite direction. So, but also from point, the but also under attack from the left side, who always think that um, um, uh, everything that's done is too strict and too yeah um yeah so um it, yeah it, and there's, it al- there's always there's always op pef around migration there's always scandals i think um mark harbers who i thought was a pretty capable um uh, minister for the uh, for the cdr he was brought down because some figures about uh, uh, asylum seekers and crime came out that the yeah. the he kind of glossed over or covered up and there's a big scandal about it and he had to resign so i can easily see eric van der burke getting tripped up by something that's just beyond his, um, yeah, uh, control, beyond his control. Yeah. Yeah. Very explosive portfolio. Indeed. It's all, it's always, uh, people are very emotional on this topic. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I don't envy him, uh, that's uh, to say the least. Yeah. Um, who was also, I think a very surprising appointment was Sigrid Kaag as finance minister. Um, yeah, this is another example of, uh, yeah, someone who doesn't have, I think, any affiliation with finance or with taxes or with uh, with budgets. Um, she was a career diplomat, for example. Yes. I don't think she had ever, uh, she has ever been in accounting. Um, th- then the question again is, or you can say, well, she's not actually doing the actual accounting on this ministry. You have this whole army of public servants who, ac- who are actually doing the job. But still, she's overseeing it. Um, uh, but a lot of people suspect that this is uh, she's she's using this as a stepping stone to become prime minister in, uh, for example, the next cabinet, um, because the finance ministers are always uh, very popular. Mm. Um, if there is a poll done to see who is the most popular ministry minister, then usually the finance minister always comes out uh, as number one. So, um, yeah, maybe she sees this as, as a stepping stone to become a prime minister. Uh, it's a relatively safe uh, position as well, because, uh, yeah, the child benefit scandal, which is one of the major crises that uh, the next government is going to have to deal with, is done by someone else on that ministry. There is a special deputy minister for that. And also Wopke Hoekstra, for example, always sort of um, uh, came out undamaged, uh, 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 even though, you know, there was a scandal after scandal. Um mm-hmm. 
subscandal after subscandal in this scandal. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it seems to be a relatively safe um, uh, 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 position for Kaga, I think. And she took away, of course, the job from 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 Wopke Hoekstra, who really wanted to stay on as finance minister. So perhaps yeah. that's going to cause some fix friction in the, in the cabinet who knows yeah there's maybe a bit of tension especially as of course hookstra as uh, as i said earlier is, is, is now taking up her old job and the job that she kind of i think went into politics for more uh, more, yeah. uh, more than anything for, for the ministry of foreign affairs but of course the finance minister has a, a very important role to play still um in foreign relations particularly within europe because uh, it's the person who attends the Eurogroup <laughs> meetings, the meetings of the finance ministers, you know, where and I think she will probably get a much warmer reception uh, in that uh, in that meeting with the ministers, yeah. finance ministers for Italy and Spain, uh, and the Hookstra was used to. So. <coughs> but but it's technically her job to offend southern European countries, right? It that's is, what yes. that's yeah. what finance ministers do. C- can she do that with her diplomatic yeah. background? I don't think so. I don't yeah, trust her on that. this. No, exactly. No, she's going to be far too cordial towards them. Yeah, yeah that's that's yeah. The, yeah she, she's not going to do the whole Geiselblum, uh, yet um, uh, Schnaps and Frauen statements that yeah. we've been used to. So it's going to be yeah, it's going to be quite quite a departure. Yeah, I don't think I. Uh, I think the uh, the finance ministers of the EU will uh, will n- not know what, uh, <laughs> what what's coming for them. Yeah, they'll be quite disoriented. Yeah. yeah. Then the next uh, minister, Dylan Yesilgus, she is the uh, VVD Minister for Justice. Um, and there was some op about this because yeah. this is the first time a um, justice minister doesn't have a law degree. And again, this, this, this touches upon, uh, you know, the question should... Uh, a minister um, have some feeling or have some background with the topic that, you know, the ministry is about. Mm. Um, on the other hand, if this is not a problem for Kaag, who doesn't have any experience in finance, then I don't think we should uh, hold this... Uh, uh, um, <clears throat> then I don't think that we uh, we should make a problem out of this uh, with uh, with uh, Yasilgus. Um, but yeah, th- 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 there are some re- some real questions about her competence. But she was a spokesperson for justice for the VVD in the Tweede Kamer, so she does have some exp- she, she has some knowledge about uh, uh, you know the the dossiers and all the uh, about the portfolio. Uh, but there was more ophef because uh, Geert Wilders uh, tweeted something. Uh, he said that she he doesn't trust her with uh, with his safety because of her Turkish descent. So mm. yeah, that was also. Yeah, very nasty, very problematic tweet. I think it uh, yeah. caused a lot of uh, upheaval and a lot of outrage. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, I'm just wondering how uh, well uh, integrated should a person yeah. be in the eyes of uh, of Geert Wilders uh, 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 for him to be happy? I, yeah, I mean, you, d- you, can never, you can never be well integrated enough to satisfy Geert Wilders. He, he's constantly no. shifting the goalposts, isn't he? Because he always says, whenever he's accused of attacking, singling out Muslims, he says, "No, I'm not against Muslims, just the ones who don't integrate." But now you have an example of somebody who's so well integrated that she's a member of the Fefe Day and the government minister, and yet he still says, "I don't trust her because of her background." So yeah. you know he just exposes himself as just a as just like a saloon bar racist and this kind of stuff, and Yasilgas actually reached out to him and said uh, and, and tried to call him on his mobile phone and tried to speak about the issue and he didn't reply. So no, he's doing no. it purely for um, yeah for, for show and, and 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 to score points for his back for, for his supporters and it's really quite shameful. I think. I think so too. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, and of course, yeah. there's also been OPEF already to three days into the job because she was asked about uh, whether yeah. uh, how tightly the corona restrictions would be enforced. And she says, uh, I don't that's really just a matter for individuals. I don't think the police should be going in enforcing the coronavirus rules. I mean, what, what is the, what's the number one job of the police? That's enforcing the law. They yeah. are literally called law enforcement. I mean, come on. I mean, I, I understand that, that you do not have the um, capacity uh, for the... The police doesn't have the capacity to check every store, to check every shop, to check every restaurant. Yeah. Uh, I understand that, but just... Uh, keep the option open that people can be checked right and can be fined and if you just say in advance this is not going to happen then nobody has any reason to follow the rules i mean it's just so stupid to do yeah it's so needless yeah and hubert Brills has kind of covered this already you know he said yeah of course we're not going to go into every single restaurant every night and check how many people are in but you know and also we're not going to hit people to find straight away first of all we'll talk to them and if that doesn't work then we'll then we'll find them and finally we'll shut them so there's already a structure in place sounds personally reasonable that makes, yeah. that makes sense so why does she yeah. suddenly have to come in with this uh with this alternative uh completely yeah um yeah, senseless uh, plan, which basically is a green light to people who want to defy the uh, the law to, yeah. to, to to go ahead. And to be fair, she wasn't the first one or to do that. It, yeah. it was also, for example, Femke Halsma, the mayor of of Amsterdam, who also said that. Uh, yeah. And the 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 the, the uh, I don't know the Boa organization also said we're not going to do this. But I mean, she's not the first one, but it just seems to be the most. Stupid. I think again, this is a, the, 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 you go back to the point we mentioned with Ed's Cowpers, but possibly worse. I mean, she's made she made a career before she went into politics, based as a commentator, somebody who sort of said what she what she wanted in in as strong language as possible. And uh, now yeah. she's, I think, she's struggling to adjust to the reality of politics, where you have to be a bit more measured and responsible in in, in what you say in public. Um, and yeah. uh, we have to see how how yeah how well she manages to make that uh, make that leap. Exactly, yeah. So um, I think we're running out of time now we because are. we've been talking about it enough. Do, do you want to discuss Ollongren or Hoekstra? Uh, let's talk about Hoekstra. Uh, oh, uh, I wanted well, Ollongren. <laughs> what? Or do you want to talk about Ollongren? Yeah. Okay, let's uh, talk about Ollongren then. Yeah, Kasia Ollongren, she was the uh, Home Affairs Minister, of course, and she uh, is now taking up the uh, Defence Ministry. Again, she hasn't any affiliation with uh, with defence. Uh, she was also yeah. asked on her first day, do you know the difference between lieutenant and a sergeant? And she didn't know that. She said, I, I, I was given a, a booklet and I uh, <laughs> still need to study it. But yeah. uh, the very next day, she flew to Brest in, in France uh, to talk to the uh, uh, Secretary General of the, of the NATO and also yeah. uh, the other EU ministers of defense. Uh, and I'm just always, I mean, I, would, I wouldn't be able to, to just fake this, right? You just yeah. don't know what you're talking about and you have to talk to the secretary general of, of the NATO. I mean, it's just, um, I, I would have preferred to have at least a couple of more days to, uh, to, 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 to get into the job, I think. Yeah, but, but I guess uh, the meeting was scheduled, wasn't it? And I have to ask quite mischievously, I mean, would, a, would a male minister for defense have been asked that question? Do you know the difference between the different ranks? Uh, it depends on 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 what his uh, background was. I think maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I, I don't think, think they asked Hank Comp this, but they, no. I'm sure they didn't need to ask him because he just knows. He just knows it. I yeah, think. but also, I mean, it's a fairly easy thing to fix, right? You just get a beer mat, yeah. you stick it above your desk, and you learn three ranks a day. And by the end of the week, 
you, you, you know way around. So I don't think <laughs> exactly. it can be a huge, uh, a huge obstacle. But uh, no, defence is a difficult portfolio. We saw, I think in the last cabinet there was a whole row about whether or not the navy should move to Flissingen. Eventually they didn't. That was a whole great big you know, kind of uh, source of unrest. So uh, there's plenty of uh, opportunity. Um, yeah, for, for, again, for her to run into trouble uh, with this portfolio. Yeah, I, I, I don't. Uh, I, I trust that she will learn everything that she needs to learn. Of course, yeah. but I mean, it just seems so unreal that you know, two days in the job, you already have to talk to all these ministers and the secretary general of the NATO. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have the confidence to no. to pull that off. I think. No, no, but that's why you and I haven't gone into haven't gone into <laughs> politics, Paul. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, what are the uh, challenges that the new cabinet faces? Yeah, there there are plenty of them. Uh, where, where where to start? Yeah, um, yeah let's uh, let's start with the child care benefit scandal. Uh, this led, of course, to the fall of uh, Rutte's previous cabinet almost a year ago. Uh, thousands of people were wrongfully accused of fraud and were forced to pay back thousands of euros, and that often ruined basically ruined their lives. On, on, on many facets. Yeah. Uh, the previous cabinet has promised to compensate everyone involved generously and quickly, and but that process uh, moves very slowly and uh, there are a lot of troubles with that. And it was also recently revealed that, you know, real fraudsters are applying for the compensation and getting it. So, yeah, yeah the end is not in sight of this scandal. And, um, yeah, it's uh, it seems to be just a, a, a problem after problem after problem. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a mess uh, definitely yeah yeah i think that was kind of inevitable because they basically said that you know if you were affected by this and you will get thirty thousand euros up front um, no questions asked, quickly, yeah. no questions asked and of course it's kind of funny because the scandal was all about people receiving benefits up front and having them checked afterwards so i guess now what's going to happen is the people who've got this thirty thousand euros will have will now be asked questions after receiving it by which time they spent it and um yeah. you know they're, they're going to get into financial problems again yeah, and uh, uh, I mean, there's no way to fix this. Uh, no. uh, 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 there's no f- way to fix this uh, uh, in a good way. I think it's a t- real catch twenty two, and uh, it's almost as if uh, it would have been better to avoid this. Uh, yes, it's also been better not to kind of uh, uh, give people a benefit to pay to a private company to educate their children uh, or, or to look after their children while they're working, and just have it all organised by the state. Exactly. <laughs> And then the next problem is, of course, Groningen. We will uh, hear about that later in the podcast, but a parliamentary inquiry on gas extraction in the northern province is underway. Um, uh, you know, about the, uh, how the government dealt with uh, people victimized by earthquakes uh, uh, in Groningen. And uh, so, yeah, it's th- also something that we are going to hear about uh, uh, in this uh, cabinet period. Um, yeah, so another big problem for uh, for the cabinet to solve, mm. and, and of as course it's already started because uh, the, the last week, uh, the first week of January, um, they, they announced that they're opening a new round of subsidy funding for people whose houses have been damaged. They could claim up to ten thousand euros, but there was a limited uh, there's yeah, limited cash uh, pot available. So immediately people queued up outside council offices, and within a day, all the money was gone. Of course, about only about less than half of those people who who wanted to claim had actually been compensated. Yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to talk about in the oh, next sorry. segment. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's uh, it cov- yeah, the, the, a lot of these problems, uh, uh, you know, are already are so huge that you know, in the first week of the new cabinet, we already have to uh, talk about them. Uh, I think the third 
major crisis is the housing crisis. Uh, you know, we have soaring housing prices in the Netherlands, an enormous shortage of dwellings. And the new cabinet has set up a new housing ministry that will have to deal with it. And uh, guess who's going to lead it? Yeah, the, 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 that's the point I'm going to raise later on in the podcast, actually. So, yeah. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah a lot of... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. A lot of cross-references on in this segment. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, the, we also have, of course, the uh, corona crisis. Uh, yeah, that's also the next segment. And yeah. uh, we have a climate and nitrogen crisis. And, uh, yeah. yeah, we definitely do not have time to dive into that. But, uh, no. yeah, I think that the, the main point here is that uh, uh, it's not going to be an easy ride for the next, uh, for the new cabinet. No, they've got a very full intray, haven't they? And, yeah. uh, and they're also committed to spending an awful lot of money on it as well. And so exactly and that's also a lot of op because they yeah. they they um, um, initially didn't ask the CPB the central planning agency to calculate through the government's plans but uh, um, uh, for some reason they they decided to do it anyway and uh, 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 the conclusions of the planning agency is basically you're going to spend too much money and uh, mm. the um, the the deficit is uh, going to rise uh, out of proportions and uh, yeah it's um, so, yeah, a lot of problems. Yeah, a lot of problems in store. Yeah, and, and we will cover them in, in, in detail in the, in, the, yeah, in the podcast to come, no doubt. On to the coronavirus news now. Uh, Mark Rutte has promised a new, more open administrative culture for his fourth term of office, which means that for once, the latest coronavirus measures weren't leaked on the morning of the press conference. Nope, they were leaked the day before instead. <laughs> It looks as if uh, non-essential shops, gyms and hairdressers will be able to open for the first time in four weeks, but museums, cafes, bars and restaurants are set to stay closed. The government also wants to make masks compulsory in more places, and there'll have to be type 2 surgical masks rather than uh, homemade cloth ones. The outbreak management team said there was some room to ease the restrictions now that fewer patients are in hospital and intensive care, but the very high infection numbers mean they still need to be very cautious. Yeah, so uh, how exactly are the numbers looking? Yeah, there's a, at the moment, there's a, you're seeing a real contrast between the infections, which are just uh, going through the roof, uh, and the numbers in the hospitals, which don't look so bad right now. Um, we had more than 200,000 infections in the last week, positive tests. Uh, that's according to RVM's latest report, and that's nearly 80% higher than the week before. So quite staggering numbers, you know, it's of an average of 30,000 a day at the moment. And more than one in three PCR tests are positive. So if you've gone for a PCR test uh, recently, basically either you or the person in front of you or the person behind you had the virus. That's kind of how, you know, yeah. how prevalent it is at the moment. But the vast majority of infections uh, are in young people at the moment, which is perhaps why we don't see so many in ending up in hospital. One figure I picked out from this week's numbers is that uh, in last week, in the 20 to 25 age group, one in 30 people tested positive in the last week. And in the 75 to 80 group, uh, it was one in 500. So a huge disparity in the numbers. And in older age groups, actually, infections are still going down, even though we've seen this 80% rise in the whole population. And at the same time, the booster campaign's really picked up speed in the last few weeks. So 45% of people over 18 have now had their booster shot. And remember, that was one of the main reasons why we went into lockdown in the middle of December. Because again, like with the original vaccine campaign, we were far too late starting. So the purpose of the lockdown uh, was to try and uh, make sure that people got their vaccine before the Omicron surge really kicked in. Yeah. Well, now it has kicked in, but it looks as if it hasn't yet translated into more pressure on the hospitals. The number yeah. of COVID patients is half what it was a month ago, and there's about 350 people in intensive care and not 650, which is what we had at the start of December. 
So, yeah, some good news on the hospital fronts um, so far, but there is a warning that because the numbers are really soaring in infections now, inevitably that's going to lead to more people ending up in hospital at some point in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's just crazy, these numbers. And as you say, I hadn't realized this. I just went for a PCR test and uh, I hadn't realized that. It basically means that if I'm negative, then the people, per, person in front of me or, or behind me is also is positive yeah it's, uh, yeah. it's, yeah, it's crazy um so what are the first reactions to the new changes so basically people who can do their thing again are happy and people who can't uh, are really pissed off particularly the yeah. uh, the catering sector who again kicked up a whole fuss and said that they're, they're just going to defy the rules and open the bars and cafes anyway and that's okay because dylan yeselgers has said they're not going to be checked <laughs> by the police so yeah, yeah. Well, what's there to worry about what can go wrong the retail sector said it was stocked up and ready to welcome customers again, although it looks like for the time being it's going to be shopping by appointment, which I really liked when we had it last year, actually. Yeah, you know, me so too. when you go into a shop, there's you know, it's nice and calm and quiet and you can just go about you know at your own at your own pace. It's lovely. And kind of looking forward to that as a customer. And I can see why the retailers aren't so fond of it, but at least it means they do get to open and sell stuff. But as I said, the um, uh, owners of bars and restaurants are fuming that uh, once again they're being scapegoated. So Robert Willemsen of Conan Le Cahoyka, Nederland, predicted that many of his members would defy the new rules. He said to Ade, Ade, I fear there are a lot of frogs that we won't be able to keep in the tub. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, shops in border towns are particularly complaining because uh, people are just going over the border. They're going, going shopping in Belgium and Germany, yeah. um, which, which is really happening. And then, of course, uh, bringing the virus back with them. Um, and yeah. several mayors have said they'll turn a blind eye if business owners open their doors this weekend in protest against the rules. Although now perhaps they won't have to because they will actually be allowed to uh, to welcome shoppers again. Yeah, so... Um, I hoped that uh, 2022 would uh, lead to less corona news, but uh, unfortunately that wish uh, didn't come out. No, not for the time being. Although, no. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult difficult one at the moment because, you know, we see a lot of infections, but not so many people getting seriously ill. So, yeah. you know, this raises the question, does that mean that Omicron is a milder variant or does it mean the booster vaccines make it uh, milder or reduce your risk? Because certainly we see yeah, much that's fewer... The question patients in intensive care than we were even this time last year but you know i guess you have to be cautious because the lesson last year is that the covid covid hangs around a long time you know the covid season kind of runs through till april we're only really halfway through it but at least we're going to have a powerpoint presentation by uh aaron skypers yeah that's something that to look forward to really it is because it's bound to go wrong isn't it i mean yes capers uh you know it's from the generation isn't really very um adept with powerpoint presentations so at some no. point during the press conference on friday I, I think we should have a sweepstake for actually for at what point a, a technician will have to appear on stage and uh and, and reconnect his um you know he'll put the screen up and it'll, it'll just show his email in tray or something yeah <laughs> someone will have to come in from it support to try and get the powerpoint running yeah and probably a pop-up um uh window uh, uh with a new email will will also uh, come into st- come into yeah. the screen uh i, I think we he, he, uh, at the very start we will need a technician to set it up because we're yeah. probably not going to be able to keep to st- to start it running i think that's yeah, uh, he, won't, yeah. He, won't, he won't be able to get he'll use a pointer but it won't work because it won't yeah. be you know it, it, the software won't be properly uh, configured or something yeah something to look forward to yeah lots of potential for amusement there and also sh- shouldn't someone give Hugo de Jonge as a gift a construction helmet with a floral print <laughs> yes definitely yeah. 
Groningen's Provincial Assembly has urged the government to reverse a decision to double the amount of gas produced in 2022. Outgoing Economic Affairs Minister Stef Bloch said last week that the increase was caused by higher demand in Germany, where around 5 million homes are connected to the Dutch gas grid, and delays to the production of a facility to convert imported gas for use in the Netherlands. People living in Groningen have reacted with shock to the news that gas production may double this year. In 2020, the cabinet decided to drastically round down the gas extraction in the northern province because the damage earthquakes induced by gas extraction inflict on people's homes. The government says gas production needs to be cranked up because the Netherlands has contractual obligations to Germany, which needs an extra 1.1 billion cubic meters because energy-saving measures have not been as efficient as hoped. Mm. Another problem is the delay to the expansion of a nitrogen extraction plant in Zuidbroek. The Netherlands uh, hopes to replace the use of Groninger gas with imports from abroad by mixing nitrogen with more calorific imported gas to make it suitable for cooking and central heating. Yeah, I never realized this, but Groninger gas is different than gas from another place. Yeah, it's different than the gas you import from Russia, for example. It's, it's a different type of gas and it has to be modified before you can use it in Dutch homes. Yeah, I never yeah. realized this, but yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what these conversion plans are for. And uh, yeah, the, the, the construction of these are delayed. And that means that uh, we cannot use the, the imported gas. We need the Groninger gas. Yeah. The new economic affairs minister Hans Velbrief is spending two days in Groningen next week talking to residents and organizations responsible for compensating people whose houses have suffered earthquake damage as a result of gas extraction. Uh, Councillors and provincial assembly members have called for the government to set a legally binding date of 2023 to end all gas production in Groningen. Yeah, it's a real uh, baptism of fire for Hans Feilbrief. And uh, a re- really smart move, I think, uh, by Steph Block there to just um, drop yeah. that little bomb immediately before leaving the stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was an explosive... Uh, yeah, so that is his parting gift to Feilbrief, so there you go. Yeah, it wasn't a skeleton in the closet. It was a full decomposing body left on the, uh, no. uh, on the desk of the Economic <laughs> Affairs <laughs> Ministry. Yeah. yeah, and the increased gas production wasn't the only blow to the people of Kronia this week. No, you already have revealed what this blow was. But uh, yeah, as we know, thousands of people uh, in Groningen are still waiting for compensation or help with making their houses safe uh, following years of earthquakes caused by the gas extraction. And uh, yeah, as you said, this week, uh, 220 million euro funding pot to strengthen homes ran dry on the very first day following a flood of applications. Uh, long queues formed in towns and villages all over the province at council offices where people could claim up to 10,000 euros per household for renovations. Many thousands who had waited for hours in the cold didn't manage to secure the subsidy and were sent home empty-handed. Um, yeah, and a lot of, there was outrage about how this was handled. Commentators called the yeah. situation humiliating and they said it was unacceptable that victims who have waited for years and were left in uncertainty but now needed to bag and wait for hours in the cold uh, to get the money they deserve. And um, I, I think it was the second round of subsidies that will follow another one i believe yeah but i think they merged this uh, round of subsidies with the next one so they said uh, I, th- I think the um uh, the organization that's responsible for handling the compensation said they'd already actually spent 300 million because they actually brought forward oh. the next round of 80 million and that's all been spent as well 
Ah, so, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, you could also apply online, but a lot of people who, uh, you know, um, uh, went to the website uh, saw that they were the 50,000 person in the queue yeah. and then they just decided to go to the uh, to the, to the the municipality uh, office uh, and apply there. And yeah, it, it, there were people who only had one leg, for example, who were standing in line. It was just all almost surreal to see that uh, something like this happening in the Netherlands but yeah, yeah. I think the labor leader uh, Liliana Plumen she she mentioned uh, she said she'd, she'd spoken to an 84 year old heart patient who was uh, who was queuing for, for his subsidy yeah so not, not a good look for the new cabinet and certainly not for the new administrative culture either that people yeah. are actually like physically queuing like Russians waiting for bread if our weekly digest of the news rock your world like a chronia gastril, why not sign up to become a Patreon sponsor? We're extremely grateful to all our patrons for keeping this podcast going through the pandemic, and to show our gratitude, we give all new patrons a complimentary shout-out and the chance to ask us a question. We've accumulated quite a few new patrons over the Christmas break uh, during the lockdown when we haven't been uh, podcasting. It looks like plenty of you got your unwanted presents (laughs) refunded on Amazon. It almost sounds like if they are paying us not to make podcasts, uh, (laughs) what is the message they're trying to send? This is true. We get more money when we're not putting out any podcasts than than we do. (laughs) Thank you anyway. (laughs) Thank you very much to all of you. Yes, we are extremely, really extremely grateful for your continued support. But we'll hold some of the uh, people over uh, from the last few weeks over to next week. But today we'd like to say hello and welcome, first of all, to uh, Sophia Pantaleu. Um I apologize if I've um, uh, made an absolute hash of your name there. Uh, <laughs> Sophia didn't have a uh, question for us, but thank you very much indeed. Uh, also to Carlos Gonzalez Avellino, uh, who says he's from Mexico but now lives in Eindhoven, uh, says thanks for bringing the news of the cool acid twist. Um, <laughs> I've to say, no, no, no drugs are being produced uh, in, in the podcast studio. We're not in Brabant, but thanks anyway, <laughs> Carlos. Uh, he also has a question. He says, um, he, he says hearing Molly and basically every American speak, uh, they always seem to end their statements as if they were asking questions, which makes me think, is the US a Limburg of the Americas? Uh, so but we don't mm. have our resident American present to answer that one. Um, yeah, I always see Florida as the Limburg of the Americas, but yeah, we can we can extend that to the entire country of the uh, United yeah. States. Yeah, yeah, Lim- Limburg is kind of an inland peninsula, isn't it? Yeah, so maybe geographically it is. It's not just Americans who do this. I don't think actually it's it's increasing. It seems to well in Britain we seem to think we've imported it from Australia. The mm. Australians do this a lot. They, they they kind of raise their voice at the end of a sentence. But quite a lot of young people, or actually I say young people, anyone sort of under about forty, <laughs> has adopted this habit. I think or even people in my generation sometimes as well. Um, uh, people perceive, I think maybe it's a bit a bit friendlier to uh, rather than it doesn't sound too final. In the same way that no one uses full stops anymore because yeah. that seems too like uh, you know you're shutting someone out of the conversation. Yeah, I think those two trends are related. Then we uh, welcome Clarity Sanderson, who says, Hi, Gorgon and Paul. I don't know which of the Gorgons she thinks I am, but thank you very much sir, for your support, nevertheless, Clarity. Um, who, who now lives in uh, Portland in Oregon, but uh, was briefly living in the Netherlands uh, f- from ni- 1999 uh, in Zeist. Uh, after she married a Dutchman. Uh, since we met online before that was a thing. I don't mm. know what, what you could do to meet online in 1999. You must have been in the digital stat or something. Yeah. Not quite y- sure. Y- y- you were supposed to party like it was uh, the year you were living in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or for, perhaps they were for, after they met online. Yeah, or, or they were on... Uh, what's that thing, World Online? Yeah. That briefly very big company that then went to... Still sort of triggered the whole 
uh, dot com bubble, didn't it? When it when it collapsed because it didn't uh, wasn't actually worth anything. Nina yeah. Brink. Yeah, she was called. Anyway, she, um, yeah, they, they had a son who's born uh, who who's at university in Delft at the moment. She says I speak and understand Dutch, but it's gotten a bit rusty having left uh, over twenty years ago. So that's understandable. Perhaps we should change this podcast, uh, uh, the language of this podcast, into Dutch then, for her to. Uh to, to, to practice her, her 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 language skills, yeah. yeah. But then we'll alienate the whole of the rest of the uh, of the listener uh, group. Yeah, that's right. Especially <laughs> when they have to endure my accent for an extended period of time. So, so thank you for your work and your humour, and uh, is at the VS. So thank you very, thank much, you very much, Clarity. And finally, uh, we have a question from uh, Alan Edwards, who's not a new patron, but he asks us, uh, "What is OPEF?" When listening to the show, I thought you were mispronouncing OPED but it seems not. Uh, explanation <laughs> is welcome. Uh, Alan, I have to say, has been a patron since since May, but uh, so I'm surprised he hasn't asked his question earlier. But uh, yeah, we, we do have an OPEF of the week every week, and we have the OPEF Awards coming up at the end of the show. So stay tuned, and uh, I think we'll answer your question quite comprehensively. If you'd like to join our loyal band of patrons, log on to www.patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash dutchnewsnl. A shortage of affordable homes is putting the squeeze on buyers and forcing up prices. That's a warning from the Estate Agents Association, NFAM, after the number of sales dropped from 172,000 to 140,000 last year. The last time the sales dropped so fast was in 2009, when buyers deserted the market during the financial crisis and eventually it triggered a price crash. At the same time, house prices rose in November last year by 20% annually, and that's the fastest rise for more than 20 years. The NFAM said the government urgently needs to build new houses to increase supply. Chairman Onohus said the market's ground to a halt because people are not moving up the ladder. The housing crisis is widely seen as one of the biggest challenges facing Mark Rooker's new cabinet, as we discussed earlier. So what exactly are the new government's plans for housing? By talking about building 100,000 new homes a year, two-thirds of which have to be affordable homes. And that depends on the location. You can get an idea of um, how much the market is overheating when I tell you that an affordable home in Amsterdam is anything under 512,000 euros. And uh, yeah. 30,000 temporary homes for labour migrants, students, homeless people, people who need a house urgently uh, are also being planned. Half of those will be converted offices, half of those will be new built. Uh, they've also scrapped the landlord's levy for social housing associations. Uh, that was causing a bit of uh, trouble, apparently, because it meant they didn't have money to invest in new build projects. They said, they claimed. They said, yeah. Well, they seem to have got their yeah. way on that. So let's see if they do actually start building houses. There's also moves to try to stop speculative house buying so local councils can now block buy-to-let landlords from snapping up low-cost homes uh, by putting in a clause saying that if you buy a house, you have to live in it yourself. And for the first time in 10 years, there's a dedicated minister for housing and spatial planning in the cabinet. Well, who is that going to be? Yeah, you'd think they'd headhunt a real expert with a solid track record in crisis management, wouldn't you? Yeah, 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 someone who is renowned of of solving issues and uh, solving them efficiently and um, comprehensively. Uh, who, who's that going to be? Tackling difficult problems and uh, and coming up with the novel solutions that are not in any way PR stunts. But unfortunately, they haven't gone for this type of person. They've gone for Hugo de Jonge. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I suspect that every time someone buys a newly constructed home, they get a visit from yeah. uh, Hugo de Jonge for yeah. a photograph, I yeah, think, he right? Yeah, not be wearing a mask either. 
No, no, exactly. Yeah, he'll have a nice nice new pair of shoes for every new house, and he'll hand over the key uh, in a ceremony. But it'll also take about three years for the housing plans actually to get started, because uh, they're not just uh, going to go for a symbolic brick. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a symbolic brick. So yeah, so who's in charge of housing? What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, well, there is a famous picture of him standing on top of a pile <laughs> of... Um, Debris isn't there, yeah, so uh, yeah. yeah, that's uh, that was in hindsight perhaps not the best um, <laughs> photo opportunity. I think we're going to see a lot of that picture over the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I think so too. Uh, a quick run through the sports news now. The Eredivisie is due to return from its winter break this weekend, uh, but there are real concerns about uh, just how many players are infected with coronavirus. Uh, the league rules say that teams must play their matches if they have 13 fit players from a named first team pool of 25, including a goalkeeper. Now, Jan de Jong, mm. the chief executive of the Eredivisie, said on Wednesday there were no issues um, or no signs that any fixtures would have to be postponed uh, because most clubs cancelled their winter training camps or cut them short. But in the Kokenkampioen Divisie, Helmont Sport has said they won't play their match on Friday evening against Emmen, not because they've got any objections to travelling to Drenthe, although maybe that's it, uh, but they say they've only got 10 mm. fit squad players at the moment. But the uh, Canfe Bay refused their application because they say it's not just coronavirus that means they're shorter players, they also have injury problems. So Helmont Sport has said, now we're just not going to travel and uh, we will face uh, whatever sanctions and points deductions that come our way. All right. Um, and there was a scandal in the world of women's hockey. Field hockey, we should say, right? Field hockey, yes, not ice hockey. Yeah. Uh, head coach Alison Annan parted company with the Dutch Hockey Association last week, uh, which caused quite a stir because she's been very successful. Five months ago, the women's team won the Olympic gold medal yeah. and they've also won three European championships during her six years in charge. The former Australian international said she'd quit because of a difference of opinion about cooperation and group culture in the team. But according to the Dutch media, that was a rather euphemistic way of saying there was a culture of bullying and fear uh, within the oh. squad. She'd, she'd basically been sacked by the uh, hockey association, the Royal Hockey Association. Young players in particular complained of verbal intimidation and psychological abuse, and some of them had told the Kahn Bay they wouldn't play again while Annan was in charge. Uh, but okay. nevertheless, it, uh, yeah, she leaves big, very big shoes to fill. It's uh, finally time to pronounce the winner of the 2021 Dutch News Podcast Ophef of the Year Award. In the Christmas break, we had a special episode where we discussed the best Ophefs of the Year with special guest Molly. Uh, if you haven't listened to it yet, do check it out. And if you don't know what Ophef means, then I'm here uh, to uh, explain that to you. Ophef is a Dutch word. Yeah, it refers to public outrage, media kerfuffle, uh, something that, you know, the media is obsessed with or social media is obsessed with for a maximum of 24 hours. Yeah. That seems to be the most important thing in the world uh, until the next day when something else takes that yeah. that, uh, and, that position over. And if you ask somebody like two days later what the what the scandal was all about, everyone's forgotten yeah. it. Yeah. It's constantly sort of come and go. They're, they're very fleeting but very intense scandals and usually they become a scandal at the point when they blow up on social media and everyone starts yeah. sharing memes and GIFs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then a couple of days later, then uh, everybody seems to have forgotten about it. And uh, how this this sort of came about was when you know at some point I was talking to uh, a couple of years ago. I was talking to someone, and we were discussing the opf of the week. And then we were like, "What what happened three days ago? Can, can you can you remember?" And we just 
simply couldn't remember that big thing that everyone was talking about that day. So then I decided to, you know, do a Twitter thread and 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 keep track of all the opaps yeah. that happened during the year, uh, so that you can scroll back and see uh, what seemed to be the most important thing at that day, but you know you have completely forgotten about. And uh, that sort of led to this this uh, uh, standard segment, this recurring segment on this podcast, the opap of the week, where we discuss sort of things that aren't don't seem to be the most important things but you know might be worth and fun mentioning Ooh. and at the end of the year we have this uh, this list of of opaps of the week uh, approximately 50 of them or 40 45 some something like that and uh, yeah we uh, it's also a tradition on the podcast to uh, nominate and to decide uh, what is the best opap of uh, of of the previous year do you remember what the four nominees were uh, gordon <laughs> no i cannot remember any of them actually i can't remember the one that i nominated and that was no, I said I, said I, can't, I can't remember which one it was. Oh, you can't remember. Yeah, yeah okay, okay. Um, yeah, the, the four nominees that we nominated uh, a couple of weeks ago, Gordon, was um, <laughs> the Muslim penis cake, yes. the Muslim party penis cake. Of course. That was nominated by Molly. Yeah. Uh, Hitler's QR code, uh, yeah. one of the QR codes that was named uh, uh, or was on the name of Adolf Hitler. Yeah. Uh, we also had uh, the Linda magazine cover photo of Hugo de Jonge. Of course, yes. Uh, that was mine. And... Um, the public broadcaster calling people a panakuk who are watching the <laughs> May 4th Remembrance Day ceremony on yeah. Dam Square. So, um, yeah, it's time for me to uh, reveal who uh, who has won this uh, prestigious title and also to reveal who won the Dutch News mug, mm. which we, uh, you can win if you have voted in this election. So, drum rolls, please. Um, on number four, the number four OPEF, uh, last place, is uh, with 9.1% of the votes, is uh, the May 4th Pannekoek. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that wasn't very popular. Uh, uh, the number three is the uh, Hitler's QR code with 18.2%. Uh-huh. And the winner of the 2021 Dutch News Podcast of the Year Award with 47.3% is the Muslim Penis Cake. 47.4. That, that, that sounds like a rigged vote, but apparently yeah. <laughs> it actually wasn't. It was completely fair, yeah. In a complete break with tradition, we have actually not rigged the vote. Exactly, yeah. We, we specifically asked Molly to join <laughs> for her to, to rig the election, which yeah. she usually does. But this time it wasn't necessary, so... No. Um, so yeah. a big disappointment for her. And uh, yeah, we should also um, reveal who won the uh, the who wins the mug. Yeah. Um, if, if you were a patron, you have double the chance, uh, and if you're not, then you have uh, one chance. So um, yeah, I have put all the email addresses. I forgot to ask people's names, so yeah, I'm gonna have to <laughs> improvise and not reveal yeah. what what someone's email address is. But yes. uh, I, I'm sure we will manage. Uh, so I'm gonna click now, and the wheel is uh, spinning. The wheel is turning. And the winner is, hopefully it is a name. No, it's not. It's <laughs> Fergie. Fergie. Congratulations, Fergie. Well done, Fergie, whoever you are. Um, n- not whoever the wife you of are. Prince Andrew, I don't think. She's got other things <laughs> on her mind at the moment. But, uh. <laughs> no, hopefully not. Uh, we will send you a slice of pizza. No, uh, uh, yeah. I will contact you. and um, We'll go to that Pizza Express. You can go to Pizza Express with your with your mug. I will contact you. I will email you and uh, ask what your uh, address is, and then we will send it to you. Yeah. I actually have uh, two more uh, mugs which I really need to get rid of. So I'm gonna also spin the wheel another time, and maybe okay. uh, someone else wins. Well, yeah. Well, well, yeah. What if Fergie's second vote gets in? The then she will get. Stevie Fergie's a patron. I think I know who it might be, but yeah. Ah, okay. Well, yeah. then uh, he or she can uh, just win uh, another one. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, we have another winner, Andy Pan. Nice. Andy Pan, congratulations, whoever you are. Uh, I will also contact you, and uh, uh, you will get the Dutch News uh, special podcast mug. Um, and hopefully, uh, you will enjoy it. Yeah, and also Paul will enjoy the acres of space in your, in your kitchen cupboard once you got rid of all these <laughs> yeah, mugs. Exactly. That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast.dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and uh, leave us a rating. And you can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout-out on the podcast. My thanks to Paul Peters, I'm Gordon Derrick, and we'll be back next week. (laughs) 